Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast that's run by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to the Wheel of Crime podcast. My name is Jen. And my name is Emily. Yes. Welcome back. Um, time has once again passed. We have gotten to a new day. Life is good. Um, and we are, we made it back for another episode. Woohoo! Here we are. <laughs> again. It's us. J- yep. Exactly. So, how was your last week, Jen? It was real good. I have officially begun spooky season and marathoning as many horror movies slash, like, fall movies as possible. I've got a list of at least 30 films that were that me and my partner, John, are trying to watch, but it'll probably end up being a bit more than that. So, here we are. I'm excited. <laughs> I think I watched maybe like two Halloween movies. You guys are nah, crazy dude. people. This is my season. This is my time to shine. As a horror movie lover, this is what the year is for me. Looking forward to Halloween. This is true. We'll have to do a reprise of last year where um I put on Charmed. Or not Charmed. Uh... Practical what? magic. Practical magic for us all to watch. And both you and my mom fell asleep and it was just me and John watching it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Sometimes something shit happens. It is what it is. I do really like that one though. Having now watched it. But um yeah, no, that well that does sound like a lot of fun. Uh I have not yet completely segued or segued segued. I don't know. Into my Halloween festival spirit yet. Um but I did light my I have a pumpkin eucalyptus candle that I bought mm. and it smells freaking fantastic but it's enormous so I know I knew if I what like held out and tried to light it in October I would be burning it until Christmas <laughs> so yes. I have officially switched over to that one life is good we're all it's like super fancy um, I lit it the, the other night after uh, cooking a like it was like a garlic um cheesy cheddar tomato linguine thing that i made oh it was so good and so i made that and then i like lit my candle and i was like this is what true happiness is (laughs) a mouthful of garlic my nose full of pumpkin (laughs) (laughs) last night i lit my pumpkin spice candle also from home sense (laughs) and we watched scooby-doo on zombie island and the movie drag me to hell um, it was the perfect pairing, truly. Amazing. Love that. But like that's been that's been the start. I'm like slowly getting into it for now. Um, but I'm trying to think about what else I did last week. But other than working, um I did go camping over the weekend. So that was fun because fall is coming and with that it's gonna be quite a bit chillier outside. So might as well make mm-hmm. the most of what we have of the summer before it's gone. And uh I think that was really basically it nothing nothing too crazy yeah well on that note should we just get right into it and spin our wheel of questions then oh hell yeah 
What is your favorite mountain? Ooh, there are many gray mountains. <laughs> um. Oh, you! I know you're just a mountain enthusiast. There's just so many options. I really like the Three Sisters. I'm gonna say that one. I'll I'll let it count, even though technically that's three mountains. They're, well, they're a collective though. So, like I said, yes. I, I'll give that one to you. They're a collective. You cannot have one sister without the other two. So technically, three sisters. That's that's all I'm going to say about that. There we go. My favorite one. I'm just. I'm really trying hard to remember the name of it because when I made my notes, for whatever reason, I didn't write it down. Um, Mount but- Olympus. We're talking Mount- about Zeus today. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's so funny you say that. That did not even cross my mind. I went down the same path as you were. I'm like, well, we live near many a great mountain. (laughs) So uh, I honestly had one in my brain where um, I picked one of the ones in Nordeg, but I can't remember which one it was exactly. Because when I was a part of that military-esque program for many years. um, For youths. For the youths. Uh, there was one that we used to go to a lot and it was actually really nice. Like in the fall, um, like we would go usually in late September when the leaves were just turning. So you'd be out there and there would be like a bunch of birch trees where all the leaves were yellow and like a nice breeze blowing through (sighs) and like, what a vibe it was. It was really nice. It was, it felt very like classic horse girl movie, but like without the horse girl in it. (laughs) Emily was living her heartland dream. For real. When I remember the name of the mountain again, I'll let you know. But (laughs) I'm going to say the mysterious mountain in Nordeg is my favorite that I've been to. And I'll add Mount Olympus in there because you mentioned it and it's funny. (laughs) Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm surprised you came up with that. I'm converting you. Okay, listen, listen. I I saw a TikTok the other day, and I can't remember if I actually sent it to you or if I decided not to, but it was, like, this guy, and he was like, if you ever feel lazy, don't, because the Greeks thought that their gods lived on top of a mountain that was climbable, and no one ever checked. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that is super funny. And also, I've never once thought about that either. I always figured it was more of like just like a metaphorical mountain. Like we live in a place with no mountains, but they live up a mountain somewhere. We just don't know where it is. (laughs) I told that to my partner and he's like, not fully true, but that's funny. (laughs) Well, we'll take it. It's still a good joke. Um, That honestly is trying to make make me think of other mountains, but I can't think of any other ones. You got me good with that one. You got me good. I got you good. I I sniped that one out for you. You did. Um, on that note, let's spin for our next question. What is your opinion on ghost towns? Ooh, fun. Um, like weirdly, I've been want... seeing a lot of content about the Three Valley Gap ghost town lately. I don't know if your TikTok algorithm has been sending you those as well, or if it's just me. No, but I hope you have been. I haven't caught up to the most recent ones you've sent me, so I hope that's on the list. Some of them are kind of funny, where they're like, look at this eerie ghost town, and it's just like beautiful mountains and a beautiful lake. And I'm I'm like, oh, that's (laughs) chilling. Um, Bone chilling. I don't know. 
there's part of me that like some ghost towns i'm like oh that's kind of sad because tragic events happens and that's why mm-hmm. they are no longer but like mostly i think they're pretty interesting and an interesting piece of history to like revisit yeah i am on the same page as you with that one i think for me ghost towns are for me and ghost towns I really love them because I have driven through quite a few just with like Andrew and I and, you know, our different travels for work and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's always been so interesting to me how um, it's almost like a place is stuck in history and you are now getting to be a part of it. But like in a way where you'll never talk to those people. Right. So that part's really interesting. And then um, there's a couple of ghost towns from. I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say history, but, like, um, there's a couple of, like, like, notorious ghost towns, which, um, I'll, I might have to cover them in later episodes because it is interesting, but there's one in Alberta, I'm pretty sure, well, I'm pretty sure it's in Alberta, I could be wrong, but it's the Turtle Mountain ghost town, and oh. it, it's tied to this tragedy where basically a bunch of, uh, a, settlers were moving into this mountain pass and had set, were looking to set up their town in this one spot, but the First Nations people in the area were like, no, like, you shouldn't set up your town here. Like, the mountain moves. And so the settlers were like, you know nothing. We are smart people. Mountains don't move. They are giant hunks of rock. So they set up their town there. And then basically what happened is um, the mountain was technically moving. It was on a tectonic plate. And with that means that um, there was often rock slides and a couple other things. And they actually ended up, ha- like, the town ended up being buried in a rock slide. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, like, I think on the, near the border of BC, but I'm pretty sure it is in Alberta. Um, That is one that has always intrigued me. My dad Mm -hmm. used to tell me about that one, weirdly, a lot as a kid. I think he was just really fascinated by it. It is super fascinating. Yeah, that, that one is really sad, too, because a lot of the remains of the people are still there because they couldn't get to them. That's the whole thing, too, is, like, that, as sad as it is, it is one of those places where, like, I wouldn't mind seeing kind of, like, what it looks like today, just knowing that there used to be a town there. And also, one of the other interesting things is that the reason that there were so many casualties is because this rock side happened in the middle of the night as well. So most people were just, like, in their sleeping. beds. Sleeping. And then they were buried in tons of rock, and that's just how it happened. So that one, although it is a ghost town has always been really interesting to me. And then another one is, um, I can't remember where exactly in the States it is, but there's a ghost town that sits on top of basically a giant oil deposit and something happened and basically the oil underground lit on fire. So the town had to be abandoned because literally the ground underneath the town's on fire and it still is today. It's been like 60 or 80 years or something. Oh, this crazy. fire burning. Yeah. And, like, you can see pictures online of, like, cracks in the road, and you can see, like, flames literally licking from underneath the broken pavement. That's insane. It is insane. So that one is also a really, really cool one to me. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure I can search up the name of this one, because I wouldn't mind also talking one day about that one, too, or doing, like, you know, like, a special episode set aside for, like, just, like, unique small towns around the world or unique ghost towns. Yeah, that would be cool. There's also one in Lake Minnewaka, too. And Emily mm-hmm. and I have gone there a couple times together. It used to be like an old 
coal mining town. Yeah, no, the one in Lake Minnewaka is also super interesting. You can actually go scuba diving to go check it out. Um, it got flooded when they uh, were finished building the dam, which thankfully it had zero casualties, but they didn't tear down any of the buildings or anything. So it's basically the exact same condition it was when they built it. Um, Underwater town, city that Emily and I will train for years as scuba divers to one day see. To get our licenses. Um, first, Lake Minnewaka, next, Atlantis. <laughs> you heard it here first, guys. This is what we've been training for all our lives. Yeah. And, uh, so the, the ghost town that has the fire burning underneath of it is called Centralia, Pennsylvania. That's cool. Or spooky. Yep. It's a coal fire. It's not an oil fire. It's a coal fire that's burning under the town. Hmm. That is crazy. Right? So spooky. I wonder if it gets super hot in the summer. I can only imagine. I bet you'd be nice in the winter, though. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to our next question. So what's your thoughts on the camping lifestyle? Not for me. (laughs) See, uh, would you care to explain why? See, my parents loved going camping when I was growing up. We did, like, other holidays, too, which I, I'm a hotel girl. Okay, that's just, I'm a hotel city girly, and that's just how it is. My dad, he loves, he grew up on a farm, so he, like, loves the outdoors, loves camping, quadding, all that shit. I was never into it, but as a child, you are forced to go where your parents go, so I did a lot of camping in my days, and it's fine, I'm just, like, not a super outdoorsy person, so it's not really my vibe, especially when you go with a bunch of adults and, like, your family and you're kind of just stuck out there in the woods. You know, not for me. I honestly have not been camping as an adult with friends, so it might change my mind on the experience, but I'm just like, I don't care to go, so it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. No, I could see that one. And uh, I do agree that, like, when you go camping as a child, uh, it's it's a different experience, I think. Um, especially if you're not necessarily doing what it is that you want to do. Um, but yeah, no. Um, my husband definitely agrees with you on many of those points, though. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is also a hotel girly, as he would never say. Um, (laughs) uh, but yeah, no, um, I enjoy camping, but it's one of those things that I kind of found for myself because I didn't really love camping the way that, uh, my family used to do it growing up. Um, but since then, like, I, I like, you know, going out with and and, like tenting with friends and all this stuff. You make things as comfortable as you want them to be, you know, bring some weenies, roast them over a fire, have some beverages, look at the stars, you know, enjoy nature. So that part's fun for me. I like that part. I can see the appeal, I will say, especially with going with friends. It's just when I plan getaways with my friends, I plan like beer cruises in Lake Minnewanka and It's true. Uh, or Airbnbs. And or Airbnbs or like or trips somewhere else. That's my vibe. And you know what? I'm just gonna embrace that. Me and your husband, we're we're hotel girlies and no one else <laughs> can change our minds. Right. And, uh, yeah, no, cause, uh, I, I have over the years tried to get him to do some of these things with me, but I think that it's not even just like a personality type. I just think that if it's one of those things that you found for yourself, you either like it or you don't. And that's just how it be sometimes. It do be how it be. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our last question. Would you ever sleep 
in a haunted location. So, like, a haunted hotel, um, the devil's playground, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, like, these types of places. Haunted forests, there's a couple of those. Um, like, would you ever, like, say it, the opportunity came up and you were like, yeah, like, I could go spend the night here. Like, would you want to? This is something I've thought about a lot because I know there are quite a few, like, haunted hotel rooms that you can get. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, a whole experience or whatever. But I feel like even though I'm kind of on the fence of, like, I don't really believe in ghosts. But, like, that shit's still really spooky. Um, I'm going to go with no. <laughs> really? Okay. Maybe. I- okay, like, maybe in the right situation with, like, the right people. I would. Like, maybe if me and you made, like, a, a trip out of it to go to the Three Valley yeah. Gap and get one of their rooms and experience the ghostiness of it all. See, it's so funny, just as a quick sidebar, with how our friendship works, because you love horror movies. <laughs> and I don't. I hate horror movies. But on the other end, if some, if, like, with these things where it's like, oh, a ghost tour or stay in a haunted room, I am all for it. Which is weird, too, because I'm also the person who's had, like, these really horrific, weird, unexplainable experiences. But then at the same time, I think it's because I've had them before where I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I wouldn't mind, you know, testing the waters a bit to see, like, how much validity is behind some of these things. Right? So I don't mind that. I I would actually, I think, probably stay in in a haunted room or something like that. I don't know. I, I would never do it by myself, but I would consider it if it was, like with you or like maybe with my partner if you really but i feel like he wouldn't really be into it because he doesn't believe in this stuff at all so yeah. then he would just be like jen you're being so dramatic but i think whereas <laughs> if i went with you you would be like as dramatic as i was being oh, 100%. and that would be the fun of it that's what i'm saying uh exactly. but i would also on the other end i would also like to know what type of of haunting there is in a room if i'm gonna be staying in it because if it's like okay like occasionally you'll hear like running in the room or something that's fine i could care less i live in an apartment i hear running in weird places all the time but (laughs) if it's like oh you'll wake up and there's an old shirtless man staring at you from the foot of the bed maybe not i might skip on that one yeah like if they're like this room has a demon and you will be possessed and die and it will follow you for the rest of your life maybe no yes sign this form that says you won't sue us if a demon follows you home maybe not Maybe I won't be doing that one, <laughs> just in case. Maybe that's, that's the one that's not for us. Yeah, right? So, I don't know. But yeah, I think with you, that'd be really fun. But I, I would never do it with Andrew, because uh, he is also nonsensical in a not fun way. But also, like, what's the word I'm even searching for? If anything did happen, he, this man would never forgive me. I would never, ever hear the end of it. <laughs> Like, I would be 80 years old with him and he'd be like, the demon from 2022 has followed me all of these years. And I'd be like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm tired. You signed the waiver. You knew the risks. You knew what you were signing up for. Well, that and he would be like, unless there's a haunted Ramada, I don't want to (laughs) go. right nice and i'm like all right cool 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 sounds good (laughs) too funny that's hilarious so i mean on that note do you have any idea what my story for you is about today 
my intuition says we're talking about a ghost town. Maybe the one at Turtle Mountain? No. I was not kidding earlier when I said that that was something that I'd like to gear up for later in the future. But I felt with my questions on this one, we'd get a little bit too close to the nose. So... I wanted to start with telling you about something else because it'll lead more into my small town idea. Okay. okay? So here is my description. Um, The Appalachian Mountains, often called the Appalachians, are a system of mountains in eastern to northeastern North America. And the Appalachians first formed roughly around 480 million years ago during the Ordovician period and they once reached elevations similar to those of the alps and the rocky mountains before experiencing natural erosion the appalachian chain is a barrier to the east-west travel as it forms a series of alternating ridges and valleys orientated in opposition to most highways railroads running east-west uh and other boring things so do you know anything about the appalachian mountains not particularly like i've heard of them and i know i feel like some basic things but nothing too much Okay, so um, I'm not sure if you quite remember this, but uh, I believe there was an episode I covered somewhere between around six months ago where um, it wasn't related to the Appalachian Mountains, but I believe I kind of explained to you what ley lines were. Yes. And how there's a lot of like these types of haunted locations or supernatural things that happen like using the ley line system. So the yeah. Appalachian Mountains are one of these places in the world where people will either bring up ley lines and say, like, one of the reasons why they're so notorious for being, like, such a strange place is because of these ley lines. And on the other end, there's people who live there who've had many very odd experiences, and it's one of those things where um, a lot of people have gone missing in the Appalachian Mountains that were never found again and a few other things. So there's enough reason for people not to visit them and there's also a potentially supernatural background to it okay so we'll get into it you ready i'm ready all right let's get it so um ask many longtime residents of the southern appalachian mountains whether or not they believe in ghosts and the answer is likely to be an emphatic no in this strongly Protestant region of the South, humorously called the Buckle of the Bible Belt, Bible, Bible Belt, the Bible Belt, um, such beliefs are considered by some to be against the teaching of, of Scripture. Uh, the Bible preaches that when something dies, it's gone, they might say, and if you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe in anything. But to others, ghost stories have become legends passed down from the family hearth to the country store porch and beyond. Unlike folk tales, which are recognized as fiction by both the storyteller and the audience, legends are accounts of events that the storyteller believes to have actually occurred, either to himself or to somebody else in the past. These legends generally contain a human character who comes into contact with the supernatural. <clears throat> How this character chooses to deal with this encounter enables the storyteller to teach a lesson about society's ethical and moral codes. Therefore, although a belief in revenants or uh, returns, returners from the dead may contradict biblical teachings, ghost stories still contain life lessons that were important to the Appalachian Mountain community. So, the fear and isolation associated with early mountain life helped give birth to many paranormal accounts that, in turn, have evolved into ghost stories. As in other regions of the South, however, modern influences have diluted the art of storytelling in the mountains, 
And this is why some old timers are likely to tell you that there used to be more ghosts than than there are now. So that's just kind of a preface into kind of like what exactly the history of this region is. So it's very, um, what's the word to say? Uh, not necessarily backwoods, but it's, it's generally built up of a lot of smaller communities. It's a part of the Bible Belt. So there's not really a lot like, um, of like, uh, like the quote had said where it was like modern day influence type stuff for a lot of these different things. But there are still a lot of things that have passed down since then, which I kind of told you earlier, lead into a lot more of suspicions and internet notoriety and stories from people who've lived there or grew up there. Right? I mean, it makes sense. It takes place in the scariest part of America. So, um, continue. (laughs) Already sounds like a horror story. All right, let's get into it. (laughs) I'm already afraid. You said Bible Belt and I was, oof, chills. (laughs) And a shiver went up your spine. You're like, oh, no, (laughs) not the Bible Belt, not the Bible Belt or whatever it was I said. Babel the Bible Belty. The Bible Belty. Um, so we'll start with the southern Appalachian Mountains. So the Appalachian Mountains are a narrow and extensive mountain system, which I kind of already prefaced earlier, like the the physicalities of it. But it basically parallels the eastern coast of North America for approximately 1,212 miles. Um, it formed about 250 million years ago, and it is one of the oldest mountain systems on Earth, along with uh, the Rocky Mountains and a couple other ones like I mentioned. So, the Appalachian Mountains stretch from Newfoundland all the way down to the northern sections of Alabama and Georgia. They are separated from the eastern coastal plain by a massive fall line, and the system is a mixture of mountains, valleys, high ridges, and wide dissected plateaus, like most mountain ranges, and dust forests cover most of the system, and some rock structures date back to the Precambrian period and the early Paleozoic eras. So... Two of the most prominent Appalachian ranges can be found in the southern United States. Um, A part of it is the Great Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, which, like, um, if you thrift online the way that I thrift online, you'll see, like, a lot of vintage t-shirts that are, like, the Smoky Mountains. That's Mm -hmm. a part of the Appalachian Range. Um, And it's also in North Carolina, and they have some of the tallest and most rugged peaks in the system in both Tennessee and North Carolina, some towering over 6,000 feet uh, as an example, being Mount Mitchell in North Carolina, which is the highest peak of the east east of the Mississippi River, la la la, uh, at six thousand six hundred eighty-four feet, which is pretty tall. I mean, I just barely crest five feet tall, so uh, that's unfathomable. <laughs> it is at least one foot taller than Emily, at the very least, for sure. <laughs> so. The backbone of the system, the Blue Ridge, starts in Georgia and stretches north to Pennsylvania. So, um, basically, to wrap it up, the eastern side of the Appalachian Mountains between the Blue Ridge and the Fall Line is a rolling plateau. Um, This is also a part of uh, Cumberland Plateau, which is also, I guess, fairly well known in the States, um, along with the Smoky Mountains uh, and Cumberland. Um, There's another region which basically connects central Alabama Central Al- Alabama, Jesus. Central Alabama to the New York State. All right, so we have like a general idea of what this looks like. So for us Canadian peoples, we picture the Rocky Mountains. We say, okay, for, so but like from Newfoundland to like the New York, the state of New York basically is up all a part of this mountain range. So that's a that's a that's a lot. That is a lot. 
and it varies a lot in what it looks like, but it is technically all a part of the, the same range. So, with that, <laughs> uh, several Native American tribes lived in the Appalachian Mountains before the arrival of white settlers. And in the South, one of the most prominent tribes was the, uh, the Cherokee. So according to Cherokee legend, the Great Smoky Mountains were formed by a giant buzzard circling above the earth after a great flood. When this buzzard reached the Smokies, he plummeted to the earth in exhaustion, where his massive wings touched the earth and the mountain valleys appeared. So, the Cherokees learned to exist, coexist with European settlers. They even fought uh, with them against the British in the War of 1812. But with the discovery of gold in North Georgia, the federal government made a con uh, concern, concerted, not a concerned, it's the government, concerted, <laughs> effort to drive the Cherokees out and culminating in the infamous Trail of Tears removal in 1838. So you could say they're very unconcerned. I almost unbothered, but definitely <laughs> unconcerned, if anything. Good, good, good to know, good to know. I, yeah. I wanted to clarify that. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. So there are some descendants of the original Cherokees living in the southern Alpation Mountain. Alpation. I apparently need a nap today. But let's move on. Appalachian. 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 So, um, living in the southern Appalachian Mountains today. Some believe that they are the descendants of um, Tassali. Uh, that is kind of, is how Google pronounced it to me. But I really highly doubt that that's the actual way of saying it. But I'll roll with it for now. Um, a brave warrior who gave himself up for murdering a white soldier during the Trail of Tears... And in exchange, Colonel William Thomas, a white friend, promised to Solly that his tribe could remain in the hills. Other Cherokees simply disappeared into the mountains at this time. So, early mountain life was difficult for European settlers. Completely isolated from the outside world, they struggled to survive on the rocky hillsides, but they were also a fiercely independent group with their own system of law and unique cultural traits. And despite the widespread changes caused by modern influences, Bits and pieces of early Appalachian mountain culture can still be found today. So that's why I was telling you earlier, it's kind of hard to say, like, what exactly, like, what the terminology exactly would be for them. Because they are more or less isolated from today's modern life, but it's not quite backwoods. It's a very unique system and, like, culture that's in place that's different than, say, state by state, for example. It's more of, like, a regional thing. Right. Much of the Appalachian Mountain system nowadays is used for recreational purposes. So parks such as the Great Smoky Mountain National Park um, attract thousands of visitors a year while also serving as a wildlife sanctuary. And the Appalachian Trail, which is a 2,143-mile footpath stretching between Mount Katahdin in Maine and Springer Mountain in Georgia, was completed in 1937. And this trail is used and maintained by stout hikers from around the world. So, that's kind of where we're at today for, like, basic history and facts about the mountains, okay? Okay, but was Old Smoky Mountain covered in cheese? What? <laughs> Is this supposed to be <laughs> a reference to something? Literally went right over her head, everyone. <laughs> I don't even know what you're saying. All I can think about is how people recently have been trying to put, like, cheese on apple pie. And I'm like, why... Why are you telling me this? My mom does that. But um, no, there's a song. It's like on top of Old Smokey, all covered in cheese. I lost my poor meatball when somebody sneezed. What? It rolled off the table. 
a different version of this song i know the tune i do not know anything about a meatball <laughs> or cheese <laughs> on a mountain but no um i'm trying to remember how the one i knew about the one i knew about was about barbie legs and collecting gst <laughs> i'm pretty sure old Smokey's the classic version but probably because like this is definitely something from elementary school but i've never heard that one well you learn something new every day i swung my poor barbie with a 294 <laughs> on top of the shelf and onto the floor i saw my poor barbie on sale for 294 plus gst what a classic 2000 song <laughs> apparently i was flabbergasted you do not realize how much of a hiccup in my brain you just gave me well so we're all waiting in suspense was it covered in cheese no (laughs) (laughs) apparently your mother's apple pie is for some reason but the mountains are not covered in cheese apparently it's good i've never been a pie gal myself so i've never tried it I just don't like apple pie. Uh, I would try it because I I have this mentality of I'll try anything once as long as it won't kill me. Um, And you like cheese. And I do like cheese. So I could be convinced, but I'm still skeptical. So um, the original Appalachian settlers were largely Scottish and Irish immigrants who uh, had clawed their way through the lush and rugged hill country in the early 1700s. Um, fiercely independent people, these settlers had rebelled against the restrictive laws of their own homelands and were in search of a place where their Protestant beliefs could flourish without interference. And so they were awed by the dense hardwood forest teeming with game, the fresh sparkling rivers with fish, and the eerie mist creeping through the valleys that remind them so much of the Scottish Highlands at home. Uh, so I guess this is kind of how the colloquial uh, Smoky Mountains got their name from. So, um... Deep within the cool hollows, the settlers had staked their claims. Um, The forest had provided with plentiful building materials for their log cabins and furniture. They raised small crops of corn, potatoes, and black-eyed peas, um, which, as we know, spin our head right round. Um, And... (laughs) They do. (laughs) (laughs) That was a good one, Em. (laughs) Right? Uh, Hee-hee. And... (laughs) And fruit trees and gourds to make containers. And the men were crack shots hunting the day, uh, hunting the woods day and night for beasties with the help of their loyal dogs. And would proudly describe um, they would pro- they would proudly describe as being part hound, part cur, which I guess um, at the time would have been a fierce breed of dog. Um, so. Inside the tiny one-room cabins, the women would dye clothes with berries and bark gathered from the forest at this time and cook dinner in large stone fireplaces. In between chores, they would knit quilts on their looms using elaborate patterns with unique names like Nine Patch and Double Wedding Ring and Dove in the Window, which are all still uh, ones that people use today, in case you were curious. Um, so corn shuckings, house raisings, and log rollings were regular community events, which I don't know about you, but like... If only. If only we had a good corn shucking to go to. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just told one of those in my backyard every weekend, so I don't know. Oh, man. See, I was too busy uh, at the local log rolling competition. Mm, I haven't been to one of those yet this year, so I should probably go before uh, before they're out of season again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> and uh, the most popular social events were the mountain dances, also called play parties. And since the church didn't approve of dancing, these parties were generally casual and easygoing. Fiddlers, sometimes accompanied by a banjo and a dulcimer, would play uh, alternatively humorous and plaintive ballads that reminded the settlers of their homelands and lost relatives. Occasionally, the musicians would make up ballads about interesting community events. These play parties were some of the only fun times that these hard-working settlers have ever had. Um, whenever life was threatened, these settlers fought back fiercely. After long skirmishes with the uh, Cherokees and the British Army, some mountain communities found themselves at odds with the Confederate Army. These self-reliant people had never had to rely on slaves for labor um, and couldn't support the South's succession from the Union. And as a result, some communities were regularly harassed by the Confederate Army, who took prisoners, vandalized property, and stole livestock. In some areas, children were placed along the mountaintops to warn of approaching Confederate troops. So, isolated from the Confederacy and the federal government, where, uh, which the mountain people later blamed for not coming to their aid during the Civil War, Many mountain communities turned away from the outside world. Little immigration took place through the 19th century, leading to intermarriages within families. And, <clears throat> but the mountain people were always kind to wayward strangers. Their doors were left open for strangers to light and hitch or visit with the families, and a bed was always prepared. So just so we're not glossing over that, um, basically... Not receiving assistance during the war, and along with a couple other issues that kind of came across that time, led to the people feeling like they weren't being supported by anybody, especially not their government, and led to which led to more self-reliance and self-governing among the mountain communities. So then, which leads to intermarriages, which is a very polite way of saying incestual marriage relationships between family groups, and Ooh, um, spicy, but they. But they were always known to be very inviting to strangers. So they weren't very... It wasn't, like, isolated to the point of, like, we hate everybody else. It was just a self-chosen thing, but they were still always willing to take people in. So it's not, like, one of those sunset communities that you were telling me about? Yeah, no. They're definitely not a sundown town. More just, like, a literally rural family communities that are probably bored is is more or less what's going on now bored and cousin fuckers yes a mixture of both <laughs> the the nice cousin fuckers if there are any <laughs> although the mountain people tamed small plots of land around their homes they were still surrounded by miles of mysterious dense forests and they were already a, they were already a superstitious group because uh, everybody knew that the moon for example affected planting cycles the tail of a hound dog attracts lightning you know, all common things we all know about. Casually. Um, and yeah. yeah, that an axe placed under the bed of a birthing mother's uh, love would kill the pain. That's something you definitely need to know. So an axe under the bed, uh, birth no pain is what I'm hearing. In case anybody needs some hot tips. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it threatens the pain away. That's, that's what happens. So, um. Yes, it's very menacing and, uh, pain doesn't like that. Yeah, the, 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 I can't even, I can't even go into it. So, um, <laughs> but we've already done enough tangents today. I'm trying to keep myself in check. So, uh, but as night fell across the hills, the seemingly impenetrable forest would come alive with spooky sounds and lights. Whatever these settlers heard or saw found their way into stories told around fireplaces at told around the fireplace at nighttime. And although modern influences have had a dramatic impact on early mountain culture, some of the old-timey ways of the hills can still be found in those hills today. 
So, the second and third generations of the original Appalachian settlers eventually pressed against the limits of sustenance. Migrating from the low valleys into the creek branches and sub-valleys and steep hillsides, these families had extremely have extreme difficulty farming the rocky terrain. Barely able to make a living from their crops, many families fell into poverty, leading to widespread disease and malnutrition. Early 20th century social workers were horrified with some of the conditions that they found there. Little to no sanitation, children lacking shoes or fresh clothing, families with 10 to 12 kids crammed into dirty one-room shacks, distrusting of foreigners, toting little black bags filled with black magic, and some mountain families became their own pharmacists, using odd assortments of herbs, tonics, and roots to treat everything from typhoid fever to the measles, and as a result, the mortality rate soared. These social workers brought what was to become the first wave of modernization to these hills. Trained nurses would set up shop in the communities and teach families about personal hygiene and homemaking skills. Fathers were taught to how to read and write. Uh, corpse of midwives traveled through the hills helping deliver babies. Some of these social workers were indeed heroes, riding across terrible mountain roads, swollen streams, and swinging bridges to reach these isolated families. So that's kind of like the first wave of them acclimating to more of what's to come. Medicine and stuff. Yes. That's yeah. Two thumbs up. Exactly. Like, not just medicine, but also, like, more standardized, like... Hygiene. Like, health practices. Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Like, maybe we should bathe more often. Uh, <laughs> wash our hands. You know hands. what? That's a good practice. I'm gonna, like, yeah. I'm gonna give that one five out of five stars. Uh, yes, same. Uh, I have no complaints. Um, I say, uh, to me, they are heroes. The end. Getting people to bathe more... That is, you, you were wearing a cape. Literally. So, in the early 1900s, large lumber companies began to eye the southern Alabation region. The region had been generally bypassed for the flatlands of Mississippi and Louisiana, but after these areas had been fully slashed and burned, lumber scouts began discovering the hardwood forests in the hills. So then, all of a sudden, there became mill towns and railroads that seemed to spring up overnight, uh over the landscape and causing some major pollution and erosion problems in the hills. Human life and land were laid cheap, uh, were cheap for many of these companies and loggers were forced to work extremely long hours with the constant threat of accidents, dismemberment and death. Despite these risks, however, many mountain residents were forced to work for the companies to support their impoverished families. With the construction of new highways, modern influences began to have a dramatic impact on mountain life and culture. The influx of radio, television, and printed matter diluted traditional mountain speech. Younger families faced with a bleak future in the hills migrated to the cities, and one by one, the mountain communities started to empty out. But perhaps there's something about the fear associated with rapid modernization that has lately made people nostalgic for the old ways. For thousands of tourists visit the Appalachian Mountains each year searching for signs of early mountain culture. Past uh, the curio shops and amusement parks, they are likely to see and hear traces of early mountain life. An elderly farmer still plowing his steep fields with a team of horses. Um, st story swapping, you know, um, the oral tradition one that I've kind of told you about before. Tales of meatballs and cheese. Yeah, you know, just basic stuff. Uh, the hound's tails getting lightning and axes under the bed. Um, <laughs> and uh, traditional bluegrass music on a community radio station. Hand-carved crafts, fiddlers, dulcimers, small white churches dotting the hillside, and in mountain speech, one can still hear words and expressions from pre-colonial times. And although it's unclear what will happen in the next century, our constant need for the reassurance simplicity of old ways is likely to keep the Appalachian mountain culture alive for generations to come. Which is sweet, in a way. Yeah. 
Very pioneery. Good for them. They should churn some butter and shuck some corn and roll some logs and uh, call it a day. And and build a house. (laughs) (laughs) Other cool things. Uh, So now I'll move into the Great Smoky Mountains. The Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, North Carolina represents some of the highest and most rugged peats in the Appalachian region, which we kind of talked about. So the name Smoky comes from the bluish mist that envelops the hills, which, like, I won't lie to you, this is one of those places where, like, I think it'd be a really cool thing to see, actually. The actual smoke in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, that would be cool. We should, uh, we should look into that. Road trip. So, abundant rainfall and soil have been given, have given the Smokies one of the world's finest examples of temperate deciduous forests. Um, there's a wide variety of different plant life here, as well as species of birds and other wildlife. And due to wildlife preservation, much of this area looks the way it did to early Native American and European settlers. Um, restored log cabins and barns from the pioneer era are scattered throughout the area. By the beginning of the 20th century, the Smokies were threatened by lumbering and mining companies. And although these industries brought jobs to the mountain families, they wreaked havoc on the environment And so by the late 1920s, a move was underway by the federal government to turn the Great Smoky Mountains into a protected wildland sanctuary. And thanks to a large donation from John D. Rockefeller, along with community efforts in Tennessee and North Carolina, over 400,000 acres of land were acquired by the government and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park was then established in 1930. So that basically means... uh, they ravaged the area for lumber, and then when they were done, they were like, we should protect this place. Yes, now that we've stolen all of their uh, lucrative national resources, um, this should be protected. Basically. So, that's fun. Uh, so then, from there, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Appalachian people. Like other remnants of early Appalachian mountain life, the old-time speech of the original settlers has largely eroded away by modernization, but, and most of the original settlers were immigrants from the English Isles, although some German and Dutch settlers also made the journey, and with them they brought colorful Elizabethan-era words and phrases which one can find in the works of Shakespeare as an example. So as time passes, the isolation of mountain life transforms the language, kind of like how... I feel like that pretty much works across the world, though, depending on who settles where and kind of, you know, how the people talk from that. Yeah. And so as time passes, uh, transforms the language, words were mispronounced, phrases and senses were then rearranged, and new words were created to fit the rugged mountain life that these settlers faced uh, within their own life. Intermarriages within the mountain communities also called this unique language to flourish for many years. And it wasn't until the 20th century that mountain language is transformed by the modern influxes of the outside world. Radio and television um, and newspapers, along with the influx of modern schools and colleges, taught the younger generations a new grammatically correct way of speaking, and as the exodiuses of young families from the mountains grew, the mountain dialect became less prevalent, but one can still hear some of the original dialect in the more isolated mountain communities today. And if you find yourself in such places, you can listen closely for unique words and sayings from this area. As an example, so I'll tell you what the phrase is, and you have to guess what it means. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> so the first one is a childing. I'm going to guess that means when you are acting very childish. Nope. That's a term for somebody who's pregnant. Ah. Uh, 
So rather than being like, I'm pregnant, you would say, I'm a childing. I could see it. That makes sense. That checks out. <laughs> corn-fed critters. It's for people who really love corn. It's cone. A big lump with knobs. It has the juice. juice. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It means poor people. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> so if you see somebody living in po- poverty, you'd be like, look at those corn-fed critters. Well, that's just downright rude. I feel like everybody can enjoy corn, not just people who are in poverty. Exactly. It has the juice. It, it does have the juice. <laughs> okay, the next one. A give out. Like a handout. An announcement. Mm, fuck. That one doesn't make sense. I didn't think so either. <laughs> so, arm baby. Is it like arm candy? Like luxurious jewelry? <laughs> a child small enough to be carried in somebody's arms. Okay, I was like, that is too <laughs> obvious. That can't be it. But apparently. <laughs> so, uh, a whoop and a holler. Oh, like cheering. A long distance. Oh. If you're looking out your window and you see mountains that are super far away, you tell somebody that, like, those mountains are a whoop and a holler away. Weird. Okay. You know, they just wanted know. something a little spicy to say, I guess. <laughs> A little extra. You have to figure this one out, okay? You're you're zero for zero right now, so you have to get this next one. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Roast me when I'm already down. Okay, this one is ain't had much school housing. Someone who's not educated? Literally isn't very educated is the is what that means. You got Okay, it. okay, I got one. I got one right. See? It's almost like you just have to think about it very, very subjectively. Yeah. Like, what is the most simple, vague, but obvious way to put that? Literally. The next one is bald-faced whiskey, which you will not get this one, but you can try. Is it like a bald-faced liar? Like someone who's like really worked up the courage to say something? Or is it literally just like whiskey that doesn't taste very good? Fresh whiskey from a sill or still. Now, there so we go. Freshly manufactured whiskey. Yeah. So I'll give you a point five for that last one. Okay, I've gotten one and a half out of uh, like ten. The next one is big in it and big in it. Oh my god. Um. <laughs> You're like I feel like I'm getting quizzed on a test that I was doomed to fail from the start. Literally, I didn't have time to study for this. That- that's the point. It's bigger and better than ever. You're not that far off. It's exaggerating. So if somebody's like, I saw a moose that was the size of the Empire State Building, then you would say Johnny is bigging it and bigging it over there with his story about the moose. Okay, I think I deserve another point five. So I got two points now. How about Bonnie? Like a bonnet or something? Bonnie, in its simplified form, just means good. But it's a descriptive word. So if you were like, if I was talking about, say, how you and I went on the beer cruise and I I would tell people, I'll be like, yeah, Jen and I had a bonnie time on the beer cruise. Okay. So, buttermouthed. Someone who's full of shit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Speaking in flattering terms, like you're buttering me up, kind of. Ah, uh, I see. Chunk washer. That sounds disgusting. Doesn't it? But it's not. Uh, <laughs> I vomit into this thing and then we wash our clothes with it. Probably not. Heavy rain. Okay. So we got the washing part, right? Yep. (laughs) So, okay. Uh, The next one is death watch. Mm, Watching for the enemy 
or watching someone who with disdain or something like that. Uh, it's a ticking insect in the wall of a house that means death in the family. Oh, that's ominous. Yeah. So basically, um, a comparison for us would be, I know that your sister lives in Saskatchewan. Has she ever told you about um, how in the older farmhouses, sometimes they get crickets in the walls? No, she's a lawyer who lives in the city and uh, is not much into farm stuff. I figured as well. I was like, maybe she heard it at the supermarket once and thought to tell you, but like that with <laughs> we older farmhouses. <laughs> I mean, there's always the chance, but no. Um, but basically, in older houses, they used to have gaps in the walls where nowadays we fill it with like insulation and other materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bugs used to be able to get into them, like for example, crickets. And so a death watch would literally be like if you heard bugs in your walls. Um, that would mean that somebody in your family was going to die. They, it was, there's more of like a superstition behind it. I see. So they're like, grandma's going to die or I'm going to kill her. <laughs> or I'm going to get her, basically. <laughs> um, okay, so what about a dog trot? Uh, I, that feels like also something to do with poor people. Uh, like some poor person who's drinking, where they drink beer. No. <laughs> Uh, it's a covered passageway between two rooms. Oh, fuck. So, like, basically a hallway would be a dog trot. I was close enough. Okay, what about this one? A Donny girl, or a Donny girl. Uh, someone who's real cool. A cool girl. A female sweetheart, which, I mean, that is a cool girl. I'll give you a point. <laughs> I'm up to three points, guys. I'm killing this game. <laughs> Oh, okay, okay. Fur. The animal stuff that covers them. You got the you got the fur. You got the juice. The boots with the fur? No, uh fur is another way of saying far. So it's fur away instead of it's far away. That one's cheating. It is. Okay, uh graveyard cough. It's probably some tuberculosis, I'm guessing. Literally, deep tubercular cough, also known as what I sounded like a couple weeks ago. Oh, <laughs> accurate. Right. Okay. A goozler. I'm guessing it's going to be someone who's like a hustler. A boy whose voice is changing. Oh, fuck. Puberty. A prebubescent boy is a goozler. You know what? All boys are hustlers. Scam artists. <laughs> so it, it checks out. Own, their own goals. Jerry. Jerry? Is that like a gas can? No, it means that you're nervous. So, like, I would be like, oh, I'm Jerry to go on this camping trip. Nah, it's a Jerry can. They're lying. They're just goofing (laughs) you. Okay, what about a kiver? I feel like I've heard that one before. You might have. Kissing on a quivering lip. No. (laughs) It's cover. Damn it, I did know that one. (laughs) I'm going to go with my most outlandish guess quivering lips oh my god okay uh how about a knee child it's either a kid who is small enough to sit on your knee big 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 ah you got it that's another point okay what about this one you're never gonna guess it four points now a man child lap child a child small enough to sit on your lap Oh my goodness, you got another point! Five points, guys. I'm racking them in now. Okay, we'll see if you can get this next one. Keep in the same vein of thinking. Okay, you're on a roll. Pap. Mm, I'm guessing it's not a pap smear. Um, <laughs> No. 
<laughs> no, it I'm is I'm guessing not. it's like a word for like grandpa or something. Like, yeah, that's my pap, my dad, maybe. You got it. It's the word for a father. That's my pap. Ah, I got six points. Right? The next one is pile up with trash. Someone house who's awry, like house is awry, or... Uh, it's associating with low-class, immoral people. <laughs> wow, these people are so nice. So yeah, you're a pile like, of trash. <laughs> <laughs> no, if, like, your friend was like, yeah, I'm gonna go down to Skid Row, um, then you'd tell, say to your friends, like, oh, John went to go pile up with trash. <laughs> That's so mean. (laughs) That it is. So, okay, here's the next one. Rip and tear. Describing a woman after she's given birth. (laughs) That's true, but not the right answer. (laughs) It means raising chaos. Mm. Like raising hell. I I can see that. That makes sense. Since heck was a pup. I'm guessing it's like that kid's been a menace since they were young. Kinda. I'll give you point twenty five on that one. Uh, it just means a long time ago. So, like, if I was talking about graduating high school, I would say that since heck was a pup, was I in high school? Mm, okay. Scoon. A raccoon who's also a scoundrel. I wish. Skinned. Ooh. I would be like, I fell off my bicycle and schooned my knee. That's a yikes. <laughs> okay, turn right-handed. Turn right? Like, giving directions? Ding, ding, ding! That's one point! Seven points, baby! Let's go! What about turn left-handed? Turn left. Giving directions. There you go! Eight points. I'm a master. All right, two left. Let's see if you can get it. So, Yan. I, and I ran. I ran so far away. That might be a point five. It's another way for saying yonder. Which okay. does mean going to go somewhere, like a ways. Okay, well, I got I got 8.75 now. <laughs> and then, okay, here's the last one. Yan side. Going yonder to one side. Going yonder to a different town. Yonder to a different city. Yonder, yonder in town. Yonder's there. <laughs> you know, I'll give you, I'll cut you some slack here. It's uh, the farthest side. Mm, okay, I feel like so I got you, that one. I'm you're gonna going to give myself one point. If, if you're going <laughs> to Yan Hills and you want to go to the Yan side of those hills, it'd be the farthest way towards those hills. Mm, okay, okay. So I'm at 9.75 right now. And I'll give you a 0.25 for being a good sport so you can have 10 <laughs> points. Hell yes, guys. I won the Woo! game. Y'all <laughs> can never beat this master. Y'all can never boss up like me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah, so uh, that, there's some vocab words for you in case you uh, thought you could get away with your day without having an English test. I never will again. Think I can get away with such a thing. So you're probably like Emily. You you do spooky. Where where's all of these different things? So the whole reason I needed to give you history on the background of this is because for my upcoming episode, 
is, is I'm going to give you a collection of sto- Appalachian Mountain superstitious legends and stories because there are a lot of them and there are a lot of TikTok and Reddit accounts from people whose families grew up there and all that thing. And I wanted to do like a small dedicated episode to just the Appalachian stories. Ooh, that's fun. A two-parter from Emily. What a treat. I know. It never happens. Well, it was one of those things where I started this particular topic feeling like, oh, you know, like I'll just pull up some stories and it'll be good. But then when I actually started looking to the history of like why it is that it's such like a, a notorious region for this type of thing, I was like, oh, there's actually like quite a bit of history from like not just like even like say like war but like before that as well Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of like a very unique thing and I want to be able to communicate that first before getting into the rest of it because I know that everybody's always interested in the actual stories but then it's like well in one way you kind of need to find out why there is these stories and kind of like what ties into it exactly well that is so fun does that bring us to the end of our episode today then that it does and thank you everybody for sticking with me it was maybe a little bit more uh more heavy historically than my episodes usually are but like i said it's it's fun in its own right but the next time i tell my story you'll get to hear some fun uh superstitious stories from the appalachian mountain communities which will be fun we love that love it and so that brings us to the end of our episode today if you liked us you can leave us a review on itunes apple podcast uh spotify wherever you listen to us uh five stars helps us reach out to new listeners so that's always appreciated uh also we do have a website which is www.wheelcrime.com which you can check us out there uh otherwise if you'd like to submit your own stories or anything you'd like to tell us um we are available full through wheel of crime at gmail.com for emails um we also have social media so if you want to see updates for the show that's on facebook twitter instagram and tiktok for updates there um and lastly we have a patreon if you want to donate to the show you can get a little something something out of out of helping support us uh, keep doing this as well as our jobs every week um and i think that's everything did i miss anything no that's it that's all and with that we'll see you next week for another new episode okay bye Woo-woo, bye